Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining us on the podcast today are equity research analysts Evan Zenel and Vishal Chopra to discuss how technology and AI are moving the markets right now. Vishal, whose coverage includes Canadian technology and healthcare, explains that IT services have experienced elevated flows with regards to earnings. Evan, who covers U.S. software, cybersecurity, and the internet, says that this year's market story has largely been one of consumer resilience, but that companies are still trimming their budgets to get leaner in anticipation of a recession. Vishal and Evan explain to host Brian Borsakowski that with rising interest rates, companies are looking to grow at a slower and more sustainable rate and are paying attention to things like near-term cash flows as opposed to growth duration. This episode was recorded on August 1st, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Evan, Vishal, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, Brian. So before we dig into all of the great stuff that's happening this week and into into your areas of coverage, tell us a bit about yourselves. Let's just set the stage. What do both of you cover? And uh, and we'll go from there. Evan, if you want to take it away. Sure. So I cover U.S. software, cybersecurity, and internet for Fidelity. Um, I've been here for three years. And prior to that, I was at a couple asset managers down uh, in the U.S., Um, Really, my area of focus within software is, call it that, mid-cap to the lower end of the large-cap space. Um, And then I do spend a lot of time in cybersecurity and then in internet on some of the marketplaces. Great. Vishal? I cover Canadian technology and healthcare for Fidelity. I've been at Fidelity for a bit over a year. And before that, I was studying software engineering and business at Western University. Um, great, thank you for that. Uh, so let's talk about the uh, the earnings this week. Obviously, a big week for technology uh, this week. Next week, more earnings are coming out. Just high level, what have you both been seeing in this space, and what does it maybe say about the health of you know the economy and where things are going? Um, how would you characterize earnings this week, Vishal? If you want to take it away, sure. I think a, an interesting part of earnings so far has been some of the earnings in the IT services name. So these are companies that help others with whether or not that be digital transformation, managing other parts of the IT stack. And overall, you've seen a relatively weak earnings period across the board. I think it shows that companies out there are looking for ways to cut spend uh, currently in technology. And you're seeing that flow through today into some of these IT services names. And throughout earnings, I think what we're looking for is whether or not that's also affected other parts of the IT stack. Great, Evan. Right. So I would say, you know, the earnings I cover have been pretty mixed. I think sentiment coming into this earnings season was rather elevated. And I would say that relative to the first quarter, we're seeing things improve and we are still early on. There are some big companies left to report. 
Um, but you are seeing kind of spend trends start to inflect more positively for a lot of the software I cover. What's interesting is the consumer has been particularly strong. So in any consumer-oriented tech or consumer-adjacent tech I do cover, those earnings have been kind of the brightest spot within my coverage. But I would characterize it as mixed, getting slightly better, but sentiment coming into this earnings season was quite elevated. It's been a really interesting time in technology. I mean, 2022, November, um, things weren't looking so great. Uh, stock prices were falling, valuations were falling. Everyone was kind of getting nervous. It's it's picked up um, over the last few months. Tech's been you know leading the way in a lot of the gains on the S&P 500 and, and other markets. Um, so how would you care? I guess what happened in 2022 and how would you characterize the evolution of the sector since then? So I think uh, in 2022, what we saw was re recession fears and inflationary fears, and that really drove the narrative. In 2021, we had euphoria, we had multiples that were twice that we've ever seen in a lot of these companies. And so I think you saw a bit of a retrenchment in 2022 on the back of that. When is a recession going to happen? What are, what's happening to inflation? What's happening to rates? There were a lot of kind of macro type questions that I think scared people. And that drove just positioning contraction. What I think you've seen this year is some of that positioning going back to more normalized levels. Now I would say positioning is kind of favorable or, or sentiment is much higher. An example of that is my unprofitable tech index I track is up 50% year to date. But I think what people are really seeing is we're not in a recession today. Spend is getting better. The second derivative is improving for a lot of these companies. The consumer remains healthy and inflation is coming down, even if that is because the year-over-year -year compares are improving and you know, oil is a big driver and that's down. So there's kind of lots of mixed dynamics, but, but I think that's what I'd call out. Yeah, Vishal, uh, how, how are you seeing things? And especially in Canada, um, how does it look here? Yeah, I think the Canadian landscape is interesting because we have fewer relative growth companies compared to the US. So part of the interesting um, uh, area in 2022 has been M&A as the Fed has raised interest rates that increase the cost of debt. And that does make it harder for companies, especially private equity firms, to go out there and acquire businesses because the required rate of the return is so much higher. So for some of the companies in Canada, which I would classify as consolidators or focused on acquiring other software businesses, these have really had a relative advantage in that period of time where they can fund these acquisitions at a free cash flow rather than requiring to take on debt to complete some of these acquisitions. Can you tell me a bit more about the market in Canada? I think a lot of people are familiar with the big names in the in the US and, 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 the, and the breadth of companies there, but people are less familiar with Canadian tech. What does it look like here? Yeah, I would characterize the environment as having two sets of companies. We still have our growth companies and companies that are focused on growing organically. And these are in a variety of different markets, but generally on the smaller side relative to some of the growth companies who can grow quickly organically in the U.S. And then on the other side, you have the consolidators. So I think these companies generally grow organically, maybe at a low single digit rate or do not grow organically at all. And primarily their activities are going out, finding cheap companies to acquire and growing that way. So it's a bit of an interesting market dynamic where we have more companies that end up pursuing the inorganic growth or the M&A option versus the organic growth option here in Canada. You know, and while we're on the subject, um, there's always been this criticism, uh, you know, in Canada that maybe we're not as innovative or as the U.S. And I'm wondering, um, do you find that or do you find... Uh, 
you know, is our landscape changing um, as there's more focus on technology as, as you know, new trends pop up? How has the Canadian um, sector evolved? Yeah, I think over time, as you've seen the Canadian sector evolve, you've seen a shift away from some of these consolidators to a focus on growth companies, because at the end of the day, organic growth is still very valuable and it often has high returns for shareholders. So as there has been more money that's invested in Canadian tech, and I think specifically more venture capital and some of these smaller companies, you've been able to see companies grow organically and then enter the public markets and continue to grow organically. Well, in the past, a lot of the companies that were funded pursued inorganic growth opportunities, and that's changing over time. I get asked this question a lot as well, and I think something that's underappreciated is just the size of the U.S. market. It's the software selling environment in the U.S. is 10 times the size of Canada. And often the biggest problem software companies face is selling the software. It's not developing it. It's not innovating. Canada does those things very well. But when you have a market in the U.S. that's 10 times the size, and you have salespeople that are very familiar with that, they call it selling software is called the go-to-market motion. That's really the advantage that the U.S. has over Canada is just the scale and the potential for adoption. And I think that's the biggest, like one of the biggest barriers that I'd call out. It's not innovation. It's not talent. It's really just that market scale. How do you, um, you know, maybe for the, for the advisors on here and, and, and investors who might be listening in later, um, why Canadian tech and U.S. tech? How do you kind of combine those two? I think, again, a lot of people just think, oh, I'll buy some of the big tech names and, and that's it. But uh, you are much more nuanced and you look at a lot of more companies. So how should investors approach the tech sector, um, Canada and the U.S. together, Evan? I think it's it's a largely has to be an expression of thesis. So what are the trends or what are the theses you want to represent in your portfolio? For example, one of the theses that I have is not only AI as a winner and kind of who are the picks and shovels providers to AI, but also the secular increase in the importance of cybersecurity or escalating cybersecurity incidents. So you really have to understand the themes or what you're trying to play for. Are you trying to have exposure to more growth stocks or more value stocks or consolidators? Do you not want leverage in your portfolio? Those are all kind of questions that you can solve for your Canadian or US allocation for based on really what's right for the, for the end person or with our portfolio managers, what they need in their portfolio to express their views or the themes they're trying to win on. Great. Uh, Vishal, anything to add um, just from your Canadian perspective? I think from a Canadian perspective, there's a wide variety of companies in the Canadian tech universe. So whether or not you want to invest in some of the consolidators growing organically that may have an advantage in this period of time versus some of the growth companies which have seen growth decelerate, I think the variety of opportunities in Canada is pretty wide. And while it may not be as varied as the U.S. right now, I think we're certainly or certainly at least a decent option uh, in terms of investment variety. Um, I just want to go back uh, quickly just to kind of the, the broader economy and recessions. And uh, if, you know, it's unclear what's going to happen. Um, so no predictions. But if we do, you know, things start to slow down, it appears maybe, you know, GDP in Canada in June, there was, a, you know, StatsCan came up that said it look, looking like a contraction there. So things could be slowing. Um, how might that impact the tech sectors on both sides of the border? I think in the US, you could see some of the consumer names slow down. Once again, this year has been a story of consumer resilience. And so some of the more consumer exposed companies could be uh, most impacted. I think what's interesting is 
in the enterprise software, so selling software to large companies, a lot of companies came into this year expecting recession, trimming budgets, kind of getting leaner. And so by and large, what you're seeing reflects a more lean environment. So I don't know if you see a step down in that corporate software or corporate tech environment to the same extent, because you're kind of coming off already levels that are, are quite a bit lower than people probably would have expected. Yes, I think in Canada, because the US market and the European markets are just so large, I think largely Canadian economic activity may not be the best read through for how some of these companies grow and indications of what the U.S. consumer is doing, what U.S. enterprises are doing are things that I would pay attention to to figure out whether or not these Canadian companies continue, continue to see growth or opportunities to acquire assets cheaply. Are tech companies in maybe, you know, potentially a better position than maybe other types of companies in that in 2022, we saw big layoffs in some of these businesses. Are their, um, you know, balance sheets any better or, or the bottom line, you know, have, have they improved where if there is uh, another shock to the economy, they can weather that storm better than maybe they did a few months ago? Yeah, I would say those are kind of great points. And you have seen a lot of trimming or just right-sizing a lot of bloated cost structures that are um, a holdover from a very euphoric 2021. And so you, de you definitely saw that in 2022 and a little bit earlier this year. As well, something interesting is a lot of tech companies actually don't run with high leverage or you know, balance sheets that have a lot of liabilities. A lot of the tech coverage you know, um, that I have runs with a net cash balance. So they are generally to start off with quite well positioned from a balance sheet perspective in a lot of these uh, more recessionary environments. And to your point, the cost cutting they did in 2022, part of it was just getting back to a normal level, but that should help them weather the storm a little bit better. And, and I, I wonder just, you know, if this idea, uh, Vishal, I'll direct this to you first, did this growth, you know, at all costs kind of mentality that has permeated the tech sector for a long time. Are investors still interested in that? Have you noticed a change when it comes to that? Do people want to see profits maybe and, you know, profits and, and earnings more than they have in the past? I think with the rise in interest rates, you have definitely seen a change from we're going to grow as much as we can and margins don't matter at all. And it's shifted to, hey, we can still grow, but maybe at a slower rate and just more sustainably and more profitably. I think a large part of that is the fact that the Fed raised interest rates, which means that duration of growth doesn't really matter and near term cash flows matter a lot more. And you've seen companies uh, start to reflect that, whether or not that's the layoffs in 2022 or the layoffs here to date, uh, as well as communication to investors, which has largely been that we're still going to grow, but we also focus on margins. And there's been an increased focus on that margin level, definitely, compared to a year ago. Great. Evan, you're seeing the same thing. Seeing the same thing, especially, I would say, as you go up the market cap scale. I would say down market, um, profitability is a bit of a question mark. There's lots of debates we can have all day on how to treat stock-based comp, and the market kind of wavers on the treatment of that type of expense. And so I would say definitely the more upcap names, there's a higher focus on profitability today. Down market, I think sentiment swings a little bit more. I think I mentioned, but the unprofitable tech index is up more than 50% year to date. And that's more a growth bet than a profitability bet. So I would say even within the tech market, you've kind of got different pockets of, of sentiment. 
Great. Um, let's move on to some trends. Obviously, some big trends in the tech space right now, AI being the primary one. Um, Evan, uh, just talk to me about AI, kind of what you're seeing. Is this the game-changing technology that everyone's making it out to be? What are you noticing? Yeah, I think last time I had the statistic that ChatGPT got to 100 million users in two months, and it took Facebook four years. So even, And that was back in uh, last year. I think something that's interesting now is I've been reading a lot of reports to try that try to quantify the impact of AI. And, and a reasonably credible one from a consulting firm I follow basically said, you know, there might be a lot of exuberance about AI in the short term and still an underpricing or an underappreciation of the impact of AI over the longer term. So the data I have from this report basically says, you know, AI value or spend will increase about 25% in 2023 versus 2022. But from 2022 to 2032, you'll see a tenfold increase. So it's one of those things where we might be almost too excited in the very near term, but not excited enough over the medium to longer term. And so I think you're seeing elements of that where AI is such a promising technology. It's a new way of engagement interaction. It supports creativity. Um, but at the same time, it takes a while to operationalize and really get these AI-driven processes um, in people's hands or in their workflows. So when you're when you're looking for companies um, right now, you know AI can be used by anyone. Tech companies are developing AI; they're also incorporating to their solutions. When you are looking for companies and you're thinking about AI, are you looking for companies that are developing the AI? or are using them in their in their operations how do you kind of factor that into your investment uh, you know in, into the companies that you look for i think in canada because quite a few of the companies that are developing the ai are located in the us what i'm really looking for is who is best capable of using the ai both in internal operations so whether or not that's aiding in customer support or, for example, aiding in the development practices to speed up application development, but also externally. So which companies can release a new way of interacting with their piece of software that might enable you to differentiate from some of the legacy companies that can't move as quickly, and thus you would have a leg up for at least a short period of time in being able to differentiate your software for customers to use. You know, I would say the what I kind of look for is you want to find the beneficiaries, but what I've really been trying to discover are the areas in which people might not fully appreciate the importance of these tools or providers to the ultimate AI use case. An example of which would be, you know, one of the biggest corporate or enterprise questions about AI is how do we use our data in a secure manner so that it doesn't you know, provide benefit to our competitors or open AI? How do we really secure that data, govern it, um, prepare it in the right way? And so an example is there's a company that's involved in that kind of data preparation process to, that ultimately feeds the AI models that I think that sentiment might not be positive enough on. So it's kind of finding those pockets of, you know, where are the AI beneficiaries that people might not understand or be op as optimistic as they should be today? That's the re that, in my mind, is such an exciting opportunity with this type of regime change we see um, around AI. Um now, AI, yes, is, is taking a lot of energy uh, from, uh, you know, people's attention and energy, but there are, are, are other trends out there. Um, Vishal, what, when in, in Canada, what are some other tech trends that you're seeing that maybe, you know, beyond AI or outside of AI? Beyond AI, 
Canada has carved out a niche specifically in supply chain software, and we have quite a few supply chain software companies that are headquartered here. I think it's interesting because during the pandemic, you had companies that were not able to get products to customers, or if they wanted to get products to customers on time, they would have to pay significant amounts in freight and other fees for that on-time delivery. And during that period of time, you didn't necessarily have an upgrade from some of these legacy solutions to some of the newer solutions that could have helped with those challenges because you're busy fighting fires within the own organization. And if you can't, for example, get product to your customers, I think the last thing that you want to do is change up your entire supply chain in that period of time um, because that adds more risk. So now that you've seen supply chains normalize, it's a bit easier to get products to customers. I think it's an interesting growth runway from here on out for some of the Canadian supply chain software companies that might be able to replace some of the old systems that weren't necessarily the best or couldn't necessarily help with some of the issues that companies had during the pandemic. And obviously these are, you know, global markets and they're, they're to, to Devin's point before that, that, uh, you know, the sales cycle there, um, how is that going for these Canadian companies? You've seen it decrease, which is surprising versus the rest of enterprise software. And you've seen this with some of the IT services names that are reporting, which have seen slowing sales cycles, is that the decrease in sales cycles and supply chain software, I think, support the fact that these companies are seeing increased demand post-pandemic as a result of companies saying that, hey, we had these issues and we just don't want these issues to happen again. And what's the best way to make sure that these issues can't happen again? And that's upgrading your infrastructure, upgrading the technology that you use. And these Canadian companies are and have been beneficiaries of it. Great. Evan, uh, what are you what what else, what other trends are you seeing right now in, in the US? I think something that's really interesting is cybersecurity. So in 2022, um, the average US company saw a 50% increase in cyber attacks year over year. And just to put this data into perspective, the average US company gets attacked 900 times a week, right? It's an incredible, it's an incredible figure. And it's an asymmetric game where a company has to defend all 900 attacks and a hacker just has to be right once. And so because of that, you're seeing real drivers of cybersecurity innovation and adoption. And even the insurers are struggling to keep up. So the cyber insurance market in the US has gone from $2 billion in 2018 to more than $7 billion in 2022. So more than a threefold increase, and it's still growing 50% year over year. Which And if you want to be a US company that's insured, that has cyber insurance, you have to adopt the modern tech. So I think this is a story that it's like a little bit off in its own pocket of the world, but the cybersecurity tailwinds for my coverage you know, are quite compelling. And just the magnitude of the increase in uh, cyber risk and cyber attacks is something I don't think gets enough airtime. So that's something I think is pretty interesting today. Tell me a bit more about that space. Like, what kinds of companies are you looking at? Is it uh, these are so cybersecurity software developers, or what? What? What are these companies? Yeah, exactly. There's like a lot of different areas of cybersecurity. Everything from think of it as like, how does your traffic go from point A to point B? to making sure there's no viruses on your end laptop, to making sure you say you are who you say you are when you log in with your password to your computer. There's lots of different software verticals within cybersecurity, and you kind of need to adopt all of them to have a strong cybersecurity, we call it a posture. And so with that, 
you know, I would say it's generally the software providers are, are where you want to play. And it's across the spectrum, across all of those different functional areas within cybersecurity. And they're all beneficiaries as organizations look to defend against those 900 attacks a week. So big growth there, for sure, it sounds like. Um, let, let's move on to just how you look at companies. I mean, there is a big universe out there. So uh, what, I'll ask to both of you, what makes a good company in your, in your mind? Uh, Vishal, you want to take that first? Yeah, I think when I take a look at some of the growth companies, part of what differentiates a good growth company from one that maybe isn't that great is whether or not it has good unit economics. That's how much does it cost to acquire a customer? Naturally, the cheaper, the better. How long does a customer stay on the platform? And I think that's one of the differentiating points where you'll have some companies with due to high either customer failure or because of the intense levels of competition, that churn is really high. And if you can't keep customers for that long, that also means that you can't pay a lot to acquire the customer. And then finally, it's just if you attract a customer, how much are they willing to pay you? And you can take all these numbers, create a lifetime value for these customers and divide it by the cost to acquire. And you get what we call the LTV to CAC ratio. And the higher that number is effectively, the higher quality some of these growth software companies are. When I think about my process, I have a little acronym and it's BAMVV. And so that's the way I kind of think about what makes an interesting investment. And so it stands for business quality, asymmetry, management, variance, and valuation. And I kind of go through each of those steps to figure out, you know, what is the opportunity here? So business quality is everything from moat to incremental returns on invested capital to unit economics. A is asymmetry. So how much do I make if I'm right? And what do I lose if I'm wrong? M is management. You really want to understand, is management aligned? Are they good at execution? Can they even know? There's a lot of businesses that management just really can't see the future in. Variance is the first V, which means, do I think different things than other people, right? If I think the same thing as everybody else, there's probably not a good chance I'm going to get paid for it. But if I'm different or variant in my perspective, that's an opportunity. And the last V is valuation. How expensive is it on a relative or absolute basis? And so I kind of go through that checklist to understand how compelling or not um, any investment is. And then, and then how does you know, your ideas work their way into the various Fidelity funds? Talk to me a bit about that process, Evan. Yeah. So you know, when it kind of passes my screen, I've gone through my process, I see kind of a compelling opportunity. I'll write a note and I'll basically disseminate it to all the portfolio managers and say, follow up hey, here's the note. This is a really interesting opportunity. Let's talk about it. What questions do you have? How does it fit in the context of your portfolio? What ideas might it be better than, right? And so all those discussions kind of come from that initial view that we kind of push up to portfolio managers or a portfolio manager might come later on and say, hey, you know, getting back to this idea, let's talk about it again because now I think it's more compelling after you know, some of the other stocks have moved in my portfolio or I want to kind of adopt a different posture. So that's really what it looks like for me. Vishal, how about you? From my perspective, it looks very similar. I think it's a continuous dialogue with portfolio managers to make sure that they own some of the best ideas that you have within your sector, to make sure that they don't own ideas or stocks where you don't think that they're high return opportunities. And it's a constant dialogue because of 
the amount of news flow, I think, within the sector, including news about AI, as well as other developments during earnings periods and outside of earnings periods. Um, just, uh, Evan, the V, the valuation, um, as uh, that's always, you know, a hot topic in tech. And we've talked a little bit about it, but just where do you see valuations right now? How do they look for you? How do they look to you? Um, and then, Vishal, you can talk about the Canadian market. Yeah, I think, you know, you've seen valuations this year expand dramatically. The NASDAQ is up, I think, more than 30% to date. And you've really seen valuations expand in an interest rate environment that's less favorable. And so because of that and um, because of some of the underlying fundamentals of uh, business acceleration, you know, we are not in the cheapest market I've seen. Um, And I think in those types of markets, stock picking becomes more important. You can't just buy anything and it goes up. It's really being more important and discretionary about the stories you want to play in, where you have that asymmetry and valuation. And the metric I care most about is free cash flow per share. What are you seeing, Vishal? Within the Canadian landscape, similar to the US landscape, you're seeing companies and valuations trade at higher levels than historical levels or historical averages. And it is a challenge to figure out, hey, is this an interesting opportunity on both a relative and absolute basis when the company is trading at a higher than normal level of valuation, despite interest rates being significantly higher than their long-term averages? And I think the ways that I at least take a look at things is figuring out exactly what is priced into the stock. So how much growth is priced in, whether or not this company is growing organically, or if it's a consolidator, sometimes it's how much M&A is priced in because the market often gives credit to some of these companies for future acquisitions that haven't been made yet and making sure that you're not paying too much for growth that you're at least not certain will show up in numbers over the long term. Um, we just have a, a minute left um, or less than a minute left. And I just want to ask both of you just quickly, why tech? I mean, I think people sort of instantly gravitate, again, big names. Um, but what is the long-term uh, thesis here as to why people should have technology in their in their portfolios? I think the real opportunity is technology is, sec- is a secular winner. The technology share of GDP will be higher five years from now, 10 years from now, and 15 years from now. And I think within that, therein lies the opportunity. Right, that expansion, that value added by tech is a huge opportunity. And within that, the volatility drives returns. So when you have a secular winner and underlying volatility, that's exactly where you want to be for stock picking. And you want people on your side that know how to pick stocks in that market. These are just really interesting companies, even here in Canada, where you've got recurring revenue. So you have revenue visibility a few years out. And along with the volatility that Evan mentioned, I think it offers the opportunity for companies that are extremely high quality, growing really quickly, and perhaps catching them at low valuations because they're temporarily disliked. It presents an interesting opportunity in the Canadian landscape as well. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. We could talk about tech all day, I'm sure. But thank you both for being here. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. 
And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.